0: Hello and welcome back to the Ways to Flourish podcast, where we discuss how to flourish through our challenges and elevate the voices across William and Mary's campus. I'm Eric Garrison, one of the assistant directors of Health Promotion, and today we've got in our studio Hannah Artillis Stravers and Katie Grodewiel to discuss uh, a really important topic, and that's self-love and self-pleasure. Hannah, tell us a little bit about yourself today.
1: Thanks, Eric. I'm also an assistant director in the Office of Health Promotion. I'm excited to join you to talk a little bit about something I hope folks will maybe feel a little bit uncomfortable about at first, but will gleam or learn a little bit as we go along. And I'm so excited to be a new member of the William & Mary community. Thanks for having me.
0: Hey, we are happy to have you. Katie.
2: Hi, Eric. Thank you so much for having me today. I am a junior at William & Mary. I'm a double major in English and gender sexuality and women's studies. And I'm the president of our peer education and advocacy group for sexual violence, someone you know. And I'm so glad to be here. Thank you, Eric.
0: Thank you both. And, you know, uh, Hannah, one of the things you mentioned was, you know, it's kind of an uncomfortable topic for some people. And so we do have those topics that are in our our comfort zone. Then there's that stretch zone. And then sometimes we get pushed into our panic zone. So, you know, we want you to be in that stretch zone and let that be your new comfort zone. And speaking of which... How do we normalize self-pleasure masturbation among our students and, uh, and our other listeners as well?
1: Yeah, so I'm glad we have brought it, I think adding it into topics about flourishing and, and wellness in and this podcast is one way to do that. I come to this conversation as a follow-up to our conversation about what consent is. So in order to really think about how you practice consent in those moments of intimacy with another partner or partners, it's important to think about what you like to know how to communicate what you're interested in and how better to know what you like when we're talking about sexual intimacy than self-love and, and exploring it yourself.
2: Yeah. And I think particularly coming from like a sexual violence and trauma standpoint, we can see how... Different things that people may experience throughout their lives, whether that's growing up as a person of color or LGBTQ or being neurodivergent, for example, we kind of all experience some sort of marginalization if you come from one of those kinds of identities. And so that can really change how you understand, how you relate to the world and how you know what you like and what you don't like. Is this something that you genuinely like or have you just been conditioned to think that this is how it should be and that's what you should like? Kind of understanding how we can kind of move out of what we should like or what we're supposed to like and moving into what we actually do like and feeling comfortable enough in ourselves to explore that.
0: Thank you. And one of the things, Katie, that I love that you just mentioned is the fact that it makes me reflect on the fact that we are sexual beings from womb to tomb. You know, even if we identify as asexual, there's still part of us that has that healthy sexuality or potentially healthy sexuality piece with the body integrity discussion that we had in our last episode. But when I think about boundaries, particularly for those who live in a residence hall or live with multiple people at home or for those who are quarantining or or isolating back with family members, parents, grandparents... What do we do about that privacy piece?
1: Yeah, so in addition to wanting to have a private space, I think first before we even have that conversation, it's important for us to recognize that a lot of folks have been socialized and taught to not touch themselves, uh, not know uh, or even mm-hmm. just to not be educated about their bodies. Um and to not under- they don't understand how it works. So this is something that whether you had great sexual health education in elementary school or whether you still haven't had it and you're about to graduate college uh, or, or if you're still learning um, and you're a faculty member in our community, this is something that everyone can explore. You don't need the knowledge because... Um, you don't need to know all the parts to start exploring what how they work and how they feel, but the privacy piece is important, especially with students who are living in residence halls or, like you said, are, are back at home and you know with their family. It's important also when we think about what messages you received in the past. This is a vulnerable space oh. to open yourself, start exploring your body, see what you like. It can be vulnerable. And so some privacy is important, thinking carefully about where will it be safe for me to do this. For folks who have never thought about self-love or masturbation, we call it self-love, but masturbating, if you haven't thought through that before, it can be kind of shocking and uncomfortable. It's important to find a safe space. It can be everything from how does it feel when I touch my neck or do I like to lie down or... Do I want to read a book that I think is kind of sexy? Do I want music playing? Do I light candles? Think think of all these different options for kind of creating a sacred safe space for you to connect with your body and with yourself. One note just came to mind as I was thinking about that is the CDC says you are your safest sex partner. So as we are managing coronavirus and working on containing the spread or stopping the spread, you could use that as your excuse if it feels, if you're a little hesitant, you haven't done this before, now is a great time to start exploring.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I always think it's kind of funny to sort of trick our brains into being comfortable in situations where we know we should be, like kind of telling yourself, okay, I'm doing this because of coronavirus. It's because of coronavirus <laughs> that I'm starting I'm to masturbate. Try this. <laughs> The doctor says. <laughs> <laughs>
1: CDC. Everybody's following CDC guidelines. Come on. And
2: technically, it would help stop coronavirus. So we are also like not really wrong. It's, it's
0: fascinating because we, we know that it can, you know, help with headaches. We know that it can boost your immune system. There's no risk of pregnancy or an STI. So there's there's there are benefits to it. There are health benefits to it. Unfortunately, you know, decades, centuries ago, it started having bad connotations. I'm thinking of there was a, uh, I believe it was a Swiss physician named Tissot, and he was walking through a, an institution. Uh, we would call it an asylum. Or they called it an asylum back then. And he noticed that a lot of the um, the persons inside of this asylum were self-pleasuring. They were masturbating. And he immediately made the link between masturbation and insanity. And he he wrote a brochure about it, referring back to a, an Old Testament name of Onan. So he wrote this pamphlet on Onanism. And by doing that, now we have something linked to insanity and to sin all at once. So you know, there's there's been those myths of, you know, going blind and hairy palms and you know, all those things that have just been there to, to bring up that fear in people when actually there's there's a lot of pleasure and, and health that can be derived from this. And as you were saying, Hannah, it's it's a self-exploration. So you know what you like and you can share that with others.
1: Yeah, so I'm glad you brought that up, Eric, The it would be amiss if we didn't recognize the shame folks might feel around this idea of self-love. Often because we're supposed to be, we are often our worst critics and we push ourselves and we challenge ourselves and we're less often empowered or encouraged to even talk nicely to ourselves, right, in our own heads or to give ourselves grace when we're facing a challenge. And so this is another place to be able to do that. And as you explore it, I hope our listeners will also be gracious with themselves around that shame or that, you know, the history, the kind of stuff that might come up for folks if they haven't done it before. And I kind of, I want to pass the torch over to Katie to talk about this with the idea of how when we experience trauma, we lose, we've lost some control over our body and how that, that can make self-love challenging. One thing that I'd like her to just talk a little bit about is what is the goal of self-love? What are we trying to get to, especially from a trauma lens?
2: Thank you so much for that little introduction, Hannah. I think really the goal of self-love, the goal is to explore yourself and kind of come into your body a little bit more and understand that like your body is a home for you and your sexuality and whatever other components that might include. Because really, if we're coming out of traumatic experiences, we know from books like Trauma and Recovery and The Body Keeps the Score, that trauma rewires our brains and... We retain those traumatic events in certain areas of our body. Someone might not like, I don't know, having their neck touched or something like that. And so, really returning to kind of yourself almost and coming home to your body, I think is really, for me, the end goal of self love and learning how to love yourself because you are entitled to have of oneness with you and yourself you don't need to have that fracturing and even though that's something that has happened it doesn't need to stay that way and exploring yourself exploring your sexuality on your own terms with your own like comfortable space is so important for almost reminding your body that it is safe where it is and it is safe with you and you are safe with your body
0: I love that. It, it's it's the it's the reminding yourself, but it's also permitting yourself to feel that pleasure again. Absolutely. And I'm never going to equate a sexual assault with a car accident, yet I know people who've been in tragic car accidents who had to give themselves permission to ride again, much less permission to drive again. And I can imagine for someone who's who has experienced a sexual assault that it is reminding their body that they can be sexually pleased but also permitting themselves to do that too, which I think is such an important thing. And it it makes me wonder too, what are some other ways other than self-pleasuring? And there's nothing, I'm not trying to say it's either or, it's both and. What are other ways that we can express and explore our sexuality throughout our everyday lives?
1: So I um, once heard a funny podcast (laughs) for middle-aged women about coming into our bodies again. I just love what Katie said about um, coming home coming back home, feeling mm. at home in your body. But a lot of times, so the way that we, we sort of are over-sexualized as a society, but we don't talk about it ever. And so there's all this shame around it. I just loved this, this idea from a podcast that I had listened to that uh, talked about just looking in the grocery store, just looking at the water on the vegetables and the fruit and just really taking in the colors and the shapes and maybe imagining what it would be like to bring one home and, and explore it. but this idea that you can ex- you can be in the middle of the grocery store and you still can have sexual you know experiences, you can express that part of you. When we shut it off is when we run into problems. and that's why that's why as a sexual violence prevention professional, this conversation is important to me because when we shut it off and we wrap it in shame, but it's still a huge part of who we are as humans. We cause problems where communication isn't happening and where people are hurt. And so recognizing, you know, if you're walking by that beautiful purple eggplant, I'm just thinking of the emoji or a beautiful peach or whatever you see, you smile and you feel feel more of who you are and you have a good reaction to it. And you smile at that person walking by who's had a terrible day and now that other person feels better and smiles back. Um, so there are really ways just, you know, of course, I'm the sexual violence prevention person. I don't want you to break any policy or be inappropriate with anyone. But in your own personal enclosed experience, you can be expressing your sexuality, thinking about it in yeah. lots of different ways.
0: That's beautiful. I will never look at an aubergine again the same way.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, call me next time you are grocery <laughs> shopping. I'll be, I'll be <laughs> eager to hear your experience.
0: Oh, fun at the green grocers. Katie, do you have something you'd like to add to that?
2: Yeah, maybe a less public rumination on sexuality. Um, I, I don't really think there's any harm in, like, turning on a movie with, like, a good, not problematic romance. where there's, like, actual good sex scenes and, like, raw as in, like, intimate and personal. Because I think it's so important that we see that, especially coming out of traumatic experiences, that we see that it... Can be safe and comfortable and productive and good and bring you pleasure. Like, we need to be able to see that. And then I feel like once you kind of get over that boundary, like, okay, like, good sex, comfortable sex is possible. That does exist. That can exist for me, myself, coming out of trauma. I myself can have good sex with people that I care about and love and am comfortable with. And it's sex that makes me feel good about myself. And it's sex that feels good when it happens. And so I think that like watching a movie about it or reading a book with like a good sex scene, or if there's other kinds of intimacy that you need to be more comfortable with before you get there, that's great too. There's so much out there and you just need to find it really. I
1: just want to add to that too, when we talk about the goal of self-love um, and Katie said so beautifully, kind of coming home to yourself and and your body feeling safe to you and you feeling safe to your body. Sometimes we equate sex with an orgasm. Mm, mm. Um, And there's so many fixes in society for if an orgasm doesn't happen. So I just want to empower our listeners that you can practice self-love and practice grace and explore your sexuality and... An orgasm might never be a part of that, or it might, or it might surprise you. It might not, and so I just want to just make that point that that's really not what we're looking for. We're looking for what feels good. How does it feel to care for yourself and love for yourself in that way?
0: And one of the things that that I'll explain to students or my private clients is that. Sexual pleasure is like a cheesecake. Every slice is the same. The orgasm slice is no more important than the others. And you can choose to have that slice now if you want to and have the rest later, or you can have eight orgasm slices, no orgasm slices. You, you may be pre orgasmic. It's 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 there's no set way to do this. And I think we think of things so linearly that we forget the fact that the the journey is is just as important.
1: Yeah, it should be fun just exploring. Yeah.
0: And speaking of exploring, I want to thank both of you for helping us explore this topic today. And I hope we actually do another podcast on mm-hmm. this. That would be fantastic.
1: Yeah, it's great. Absolutely. Thank you.
0: I really enjoyed having you both here today. And I hope our listeners appreciated the wonderful uh, insights we got from our guests. So please stay tuned for our further podcasts, the wonderful topics that are coming up. And again, I'd like to thank our sponsor, United Healthcare. And as always, this podcast was brought to you by Lindsay Heck. Brittany Emmons, Colin Cross, and me, Eric Garrison.